This is recording number 10943 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, September 18, 2011. This is the 22nd message in the series titled, Doctor's Gospel. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Don't Lose Heart. of the young women that was um, one of our students, uh, uh, I think about a year ago, or no, no, excuse me, six months ago. Her name's Amanda, and she wrote me this week an email, and she, she said, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure I get this thing of why we pray about something more than once. If God knows everything, and he hears us when we pray, what is it that we have to remind him? You know? Or we have to kind of get his attention? Or well, what's the deal with that? And, um, you know, I, I, maybe, how many of you ever asked or thought something along that line? Want to wonder? I think for me it comes up when I've been praying for something again and again and again and again and again. Months go by. Sometimes years go by. And I don't see the answer that I'm requesting It seems to me that that's when I wonder that too. And perhaps you have. It's one of the most difficult things, I think, for any of us who who, uh, are, you know, in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, those of us who are Christ's followers, to, to reconcile. We know, I mean, we wouldn't, none of us would be here this morning. None of us would be here this morning if we didn't, have a pretty solid belief that there is a God out there and that he loves you and me. I mean, why would you be here if you didn't believe God was good? We're here for that. We know that. That's a settled thing. And yet, when we pray and sincerely pray and about things that are not trivial, you know, it's, this is not about, you know, the, the sports car you want to buy, but I mean the things that are desperate. You know, you just... I, 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 God, I need an answer. And it seems like nothing comes. I think that is one of the most difficult and challenging aspects of our walk with God. And Jesus in the 18th chapter of the book of Luke addresses it. And I'm not, I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I don't think we're going to walk out of here today with 100% this thing nailed down and, oh, I get it now. In fact, if you ever arrive at that about anything about the kingdom of God, you let me know because I'm going to trade places with you. But I do think that the Lord wants to speak into that sometimes painful place in our lives and give us some understanding that perhaps we didn't have when we came in this morning. You up for that? All right. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable. The he there is Jesus. And y'all know when he speaks a parable, he's talking, he's not, it's not a riddle. Okay, he's not trying to hide truth within a riddle. When he speaks a parable, he's trying to make truth clear. It's a story, a commonly, uh, a story that would be commonly understood that he lays alongside truth in parallel so that we can observe the interactions between the two and go, oh, I get it. That's what he's doing here. He spoke a parable to them 
that men and women always ought to pray and not lose heart. Anybody here ever lost heart? Not just about prayer, but about, you know, anything. I have. What happens? It's like the wind goes out of your sails, isn't it? When you lose heart. In fact, the scripture says this in a little different way. It says, without vision, people perish. When you, when you lo- lose that, that sense of where you're headed or why you're headed there or the expectation of what God is up to in your future. When you lose that, when the Bible says people perish, the, it's literally they're adrift in the sea. And whatever is happening, the winds, the waves, whatever, they just bounce in your life along and you're just along for the ride. There's, there's no sense of direction. There's no sense of... of um, of uh, uh, purpose. So without vision, and I would suggest to you that when Jesus said here not to lose hope or lose heart, he was talking about something similar. I want you all to pray. I don't know where I got on this y'all thing today, but (laughs) I want you all to pray. I'm from Southern California. (laughs) I want you all to pray. And not lose heart. And so now, so he's told us the purpose of this parable. Verse 2, he begins it. There was in a certain city a judge, now listen to this, who did not fear God nor regard man. Jesus is making this very clear because in some of the parables that he's told, you'll remember he's been Uh, putting, it's been clear that God is the authoritative figure in the story. And this time he wants to make sure we know he's not talking about God. He's not talking about the Heavenly Father here. He's saying this judge does not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in that city and he's using uh, very specifically and using Uh, The widow as an example here because widows had a stigma in this culture on their lives. A widow is someone who God has turned against, right? And uh, they had very little in terms of rights. They didn't, uh, they had very little prospect or hope of even survival, really. So Jesus is making, he's using this woman in the story and, and calling her a widow on purpose. He wants to see, a very, see, for us to see her as very disenfranchised, somebody who would be skipped over, someone who would not be counted. And he says, there was a widow in that city and she came to him, this judge, saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. He didn't pay any attention to her for some length of time. We're not told how long. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man. Jesus, again, making it clear, this is not, this is not how your heavenly Father behaves. Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And so Jesus is saying in this story, here's this judge And uh, 
He doesn't even bother with this woman except that she keeps pastoring him and eventually her, her continual uh, coming to him wears him down to he says, I got to stop this woman from bothering me. And he comes to her aid. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said and shall God not avenge his own elect. There is not a term farther removed from the concept of widow that he chose to show in the beginning here. There's not a term farther away from that. A term that means you chosen, favorite. Shall not God avenge his chosen, his favorite, who cry out day and night to him? Though he bears long with them. Though there are times. And we'll talk some more about this. He says. Will not God come to your rescue? You are not some disenfranchised person. That others would care less about. Or he should care less about. You are his elect. His chosen. His favorite. Will he not avenge you? Even if there are times when he has to bear long. But, but, but it's not the thing of God. You know, sometimes we have this idea, and what I'm going to tell you in just a minute is that, so I'm going to get ahead of myself, but what I'm going to tell you in just a minute is that this really, this parable is really about faith. But here's what a lot of us think about faith when it comes to prayer. We think it's God's got this faith-o-meter, right? And that if we get the needle up far enough, he'll answer us, right? Don't we think that? We come to God and we... we you know, crunch our face up and we get real serious. And, blah, 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 blah. and it's as though we're trying to get this needle, this faith needle to go up far enough that God will pay attention to us and respond. Right? But that's, that's not our God. In fact, when it says here, though he bears long with them, it's not that thing. It's like, well, let's try it again. Let's see if you can get that needle up. No, it's he gets down under the burden of this long wait with us. That's what it says there. Will he not bear long with us? Now, we wanted the answer we want is, well, why are we doing this anyway? Why, is it, why do we have to bear this long? I mean, I'm grateful you're there with me, Jesus. But really, I just want to know why do we have to bear this thing so long? We'll talk some about that. But he says, will not God? Avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. Then get this. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. I got to tell you, I, I, I don't understand the juxtaposition of these two phrases right next to each other, one right after the other. And I've read commentary after commentary after commentary, and it appears that nobody else does either. But it's in the Word of God. And I, I don't want to just jump for some sort of simplistic answer. But get this. Jesus is saying, will not God avenge you even if there, he has to get down in there with you and bear this thing for some period of time? And then in the very next phrase, he says, I tell you, he will avenge you speedily. And all I can say is, and again, I'm not trying to make a jump to some sort of simplistic answer, but one of the things I've figured out over the years is that God is not a human being. He's not limited to, to the, the 
finite, simplistic smallness of human beings. And when we try to explain God, when we try to get, or when, no, let's put it this way, when, when the scripture tries to explain God to us, sometimes it sounds contradictory. Like this, God is just. God is love. How do those two things go together? But they do in God. He is both just and he is the very definition of justice. And he is also the the personification of love at the same time because he is so big. And I think that this is one of those things where we have a God who when there are times for reasons that are his, when our prayers and our cries to him are heard, but the response seems to be delayed, at least to us. It, it's something that he, he gets in and bears with us over a period of time. That that is absolutely as true of him as it is to say he answers speedily. And I don't want, again, I don't want to just go, you know, go for the cheap trick here. But can I ask you to consider in light of eternity, which is where our God dwells. And he created everything that's, that makes time. He created uh, space. He created the interactions of the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the rotations of the planets and, and uh, solar systems and all the rest that just blow my whole mind. He created all that system that makes time meaningful to us. And we are creatures of time. We are in a, an environment where time matters. But it doesn't to him. He's sensitive to it clearly. He made it and he knows how that stuff affects us. But he is not ruled by it. And even you and I, someday when we step out of this realm into the next. And we... Understand what it is when time, the clock stops ticking. When we look back on this life and everything that we just were so desperate for and couldn't wait for, it will be meaningless. But listen to this. He says, nevertheless, verse 8, last part of verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That's what this is about, faith. And there is something about the breakthrough that happens many times when we have been in a long season of prayer. Because we all, you know, we, we start prayer, most of us, let's put it this way, in just sort of this desperation for, for something. We want something or we want God to do something or to say something or to, to guide us in some way. We, we have an agenda. And that's what mostly drives our prayer life. But there's an amazing thing that I've noticed sometimes when I've been in those long seasons of prayer and I'm almost to that place where I'm losing hope and giving up that I actually break through a barrier and come to faith. Faith is trust. That's what it is. Trust in God. And, and, and uh, the Apostle Paul had a similar experience. The Bible describes him praying to God about a, 
what he describes as a thorn in the flesh. And um, many people, including myself, believe that he had some sort of eye uh, malady, an eye disease, an eye condition, because there's places where he talks about, you know, has to, he's, he's signing his letters in, in big um, penmanship so that, you know, he could see it, you know. And, and anyway, I won't go into that, but he had something that was troubling him and he was asking God to deliver him from it. And the Bible says he prayed three times. And it's really just kind of a, a symbol for, uh, for, for multiple times of prayer. It may not have just been three times, but he kept bringing this thing to the Lord. God, heal me. Free me from this thing. In the end, God said this to him. He said, God didn't heal him of it. But he spoke into that situation and he said, Paul, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. And I think in that moment, Paul broke through this thing, you know, of, of I need from God to I trust God. And that's what faith is. And that's what ultimately Jesus says this whole thing is about. Remember, he said, I would that uh, I want you all to pray and not lose heart. Always pray and not lose heart. I want to make my way quickly through the rest of this chapter. And I want to point up four ways that we can lose heart when we're in the midst of long seasons of prayer or, or intercession or supplication. First thing that happened, first thing that happens after Jesus tells this initial parable is he talk, tells another one, another parable, a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And these two guys were the polar extremes of the uh, religious spectrum. You know, in people's minds, the Pharisee was like right next to God. And then you had on the other end, right down there by the other guy, you had um, the tax collectors, right? So Jesus, you know, wants this to be really clear, this this. Uh, uh, contrast, and so he uses a Pharisee and a, a tax collector, and he says these two guys go to God in prayer. They come to the temple to pray. The first guy, the Pharisee, verse eleven, he stands up, and and by the way, I guess I'll back up and and uh, uh, say uh, in verse nine. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. So this is directed to people who are trusting in themselves. Remember, faith is about trusting in God. He's directing this parable to those who trust in themselves. Then verse 11 in the story, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Have you ever prayed to yourself? I hate to admit it, but I do a lot of that. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. As though he was trying to convince God he ought to do, we don't know what he was going to pray about. He never did, you know, the story doesn't tell us. But it's as though he needs to convince God that God ought to answer his prayer. I got to tell you, I did that this week. Uh, Monday night, I was, we were heading for this, or Monday afternoon, we were driving to Sacramento for this con- conference we were telling you about earlier. And my, I started having, uh, you know, uh, some congestion, nasal and chest congest- 
congestion. And that night while I was sleeping, I acquired a sore throat. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I have to get on a plane in a few days and go to Asia, one of the most difficult things I do in my year, and I'm going to be sick there. And this has happened before. I've been there and tried to do everything that I had to do while I'm there sick, and it's not pleasant. So I, I went to God, and I said, God, I'm going to Asia. For you. <laughs> I can't be sick right now. You know this. I'm, this is you. And I was trying to, use my, trying to use my YWAM trip as leverage with God to get him to heal me. Now tell me. Anybody else ever done that? Besides Teresa? We do not. We do not need to convince God. Nothing we get, well, I mean, I'll get ahead of myself. So here, then you have, then you have the tax collector, right? He's also come to the temple to pray. Listen to what he says. And the tax collector, verse 13, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Everything we ever receive from the hand of God is on the basis of his grace and mercy only. Sometimes we lose heart in the face of long-term uh, prayer, long seasons of what appears to be no answers to our prayer because we've lost a heart of humility. We tend, we, we've come to a place of kind of feeling like God owes us or he should do this or... Listen, I think we could learn something from the tax collector here. Have a heart of humility. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then in verse 15 through 17, Jesus talks about how people were bringing their little children to him and and apparently the parents and, and relatives want, just wanted him to touch them in some way or pray over them or bless them somehow. And the idea is that Jesus is going to do something that's going to bless them. So they're, they're bringing their kids to Jesus. Jesus, touch my child. Bless my child. So it's a form of prayer. So it's a, it's a coming to God on behalf of someone else. And verse 16 is... Because the disciples, they step in and they say, keep these little brats away from Jesus. He's got more important things to do. Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Yesterday, actually this weekend, we've had two of our kids and their families with us. Um, my, my daughter Shiloh, her husband Aaron and their uh, son Nolan and then my, my son Jeremy and his wife Dia who are here this morning. And uh, we all went to San Francisco yesterday and spent the day and walked along the Embarcadero and um, we got down to Pier 39 from, we, 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 we went from the um, ferry building we walked on down to Pier 39 and looked around there. And then we were heading to, the, to Pier 41 to catch the ferry to go home and we were pretty much finished with our, our San Francisco excursion. My grandson, Nolan, had been just a, just a sweet... I mean, he's always just a really sweet kid and, and uh, you know, been so, so good all day and everything. And I'm, I'm pushing his stroller and we're, we're leaving Pier 39 and 
he stood up in his stroller and turned around and he says, Papa, I would like a present. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It's, I mean, your heart just melts. I mean, look, it's because he is still young enough. He doesn't think anything. He just thinks that he doesn't know that I might not have enough money. He doesn't know that I might be, you know, thinking, well, you know, you, that's presumptuous of you to say, young man. He's not, you know, he's not thinking of any of those things. Sometimes when we come to God, we are less than childlike. We don't have an expectation that our God is a loving father. And I think some of the reasons, some of the times we lose heart in the midst of these long seasons of prayer is because we've lost a heart of expectancy. You know, I took that, I found the nearest store I could find and bought that kid something. (laughs) It didn't matter what. Show me, I'll buy it. Because I love him. And he wasn't, you know, he... There might come a day when he's a snotty brat. I don't know, but not yet. And I love that kid. God loves you. Then there's the story. This is not a parable, but uh, there's the record of this guy as a rich man. And he's known, uh, been known ever since this happened as the rich young ruler. So the guy is both young and rich. I hate him. (laughs) But he comes to Jesus and he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he's asking for something from Jesus, right? What do I got to do? Have you ever asked Jesus, what do I got to do? What do you want me to do? What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the Ten Commandments, right? And he goes, got it. I've done those all my life. And Jesus says, cool. Now... There's one thing you haven't done, and that is, I want you to sell everything you got. It's not what he wanted to hear. Verse 23, but when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Not only was he very sorrowful, Matthew tells us he walked away sorrowful. I think sometimes we lose heart in the midst of these long seasons of prayer because we've lost the heart of obedience, a willingness to obey whatever God says. We come to God with our agenda, don't we? I've had God answer my requests or my, uh, my prayers for direction. I've had God answer that, answer my request, God, what should I do? I've had God answer that and tell me what I should do. And it wasn't something I wanted to do. And we lose a heart of, of, of obedience. And then we, we find ourselves just in that place where we can lose heart. And finally, there's the verse 31. That's an amazing thing. He has more to say about the, you know, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of of heaven, but then he gets to verse 31 and he took his 12 aside, takes the 12 disciples, he takes them aside. He wants to speak to them alone, he wants to be clear, he wants to make sure there's no interruptions. So that's why he takes them aside. 
This is not something that he intends to be just sort of part of the background noise. He's serious about this. And he says, behold, we are going to Jerusalem. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man. And they knew what that meant. He's talking about himself. All things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked, insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him. It's a very technical term. He was telling them, I'm going to have my back laid open with a, this whip thing. They all knew the scourging thing that the Romans inflicted on their prisoners. He's saying, this is going to happen to me. And they'll kill me. Or they'll kill him. They will scourge him and kill him. And... The third day, he will rise again. Tell me, what is unclear about that? Pretty clear. But, verse 35, they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and it wasn't because God was hiding it. It was because they didn't want to hear it. (coughs) Sometimes we lose heart in the midst of these long seasons of, of prayer because we've lost a heart of submission. That means, not my will, yours. And there are times when I know, I I have experienced this and I bet you have too. When God has been, because I'll look back on it and see it. At the time, it was as though I was saying, God, I need to hear from you and the heavens were brass. You've heard that saying before. I don't know who made it up, but it sure fits sometimes. It feels like the heavens are brass and my prayers are just banging off that brass a ceiling and not getting through to God or God is not able to get through to me somehow, but I am praying, I am desperate and there's nothing, there's crickets. But you know what? There have been many times when I've found myself looking back on times like that and realized, oh, you were speaking to me. And you couldn't have been more clear. But I didn't want to submit my plans to yours. And so I closed my ears. All right, we'll finish with this, verse 35. This is the bookend to the parable that Jesus told at the beginning of the chapter. This is almost word for word the same thing, but this is real life. And from the perspective of of a right perspective. Then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. This is a guy in a desperate situation. I've in Taiwan where we go, there's there's a road that I can, you know, a a market area I can walk down the street and pretty much every time I go there, there are people in the in the most desperate physical condition you can imagine literally crawling on their hands and knees begging for anything and and just you know you're 
heart is just broken. This is that guy. And he hears noise because he can't see. He's blind, right? And he hears noise and he asks somebody, what's going on? So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. So I don't know if this guy's heard the rumors and rumblings about Jesus of Nazareth, but it kind of sounds like it. And he cried out, Jesus, he, didn't know, he doesn't know where he is, he cries out, Jesus, son of David. Now that is a very specific term, and it speaks of faith. I, you're not just some prophet. You're not just some guy that everybody's, you know, you're not the hot number right now. You are the Messiah, the son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. It stopped him in his tracks. The cry of this desperate man stopped him in his tracks. And he commanded that this man be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, What do you want me? To do for you. Lord. That I might receive my sight. And Jesus said to him. Receive your sight. Your faith. You broke through. You broke through. Your faith. Has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. And followed him glorifying God. And all the people when they saw it. Gave praise to God. I don't think we've answered all the questions today, but I'm hoping that at least you've seen this, that we do have a God in heaven who cares about us, who is responsive to us, but who is most interested in our trusting him.